Hello, this is a presentation of The Unlikely, a book by Joe DeLeone. The carriage bounced across the green countryside in a light drizzle, which did not seem as if it would turn the road to mud, fortunately for Scrapulous Vero. He was traveling next to the driver of a wide, lavish carriage, a tall man, ramrod thin and well-groomed, who he had hired that morning to take his family to the derby. Pharaoh could have sat inside, but it was full of his three daughters and their friends, and he found the company of the driver infinitely preferable, and the two sat in a comfortable silence. Inside the carriage, shielded from the low-hanging mist which drifted off of the broad river, the road followed as it wound its way through the country, sat six girls, three to his side, and they sat comfortably. Pharaoh had purposely chosen the largest carriage he could find that morning as the carriagemen all lined up next to each other and peddled their business for the day. It was costing him quite a dear amount, but his daughters had insisted that they go to the Derby. They'd all been enrolled at the top academy in the city of Rasdom, where they lived. Pharaoh had become friends with the headmaster, and his daughters had become popular with the scores of lordlings and ladies who would one day run the Radish Empire, much to Pharaoh's chagrin. His eldest daughter had come, as she had nothing better to do, and she stared out of the window at the sullen countryside with her sharp yellow eyes, though... As was much of the case, she was bored. She had not brought her one true friend in the world, a boy she was in love with, and everything to her about the derby seemed quite routine, though she was sure to see some of her old classmates, and she had dressed exquisitely and spent time neatly braiding her brown hair. She had not found the easy acceptance that her twin stepsisters had in the city, and she looked forward to the selfish indulgence of showing off. She was beautiful, and she knew it. Next to her in the carriage sat her twin stepsisters. Four years younger, they were identical, and they had taken after their deceased radish mother with their honey-colored hair and bright crimson eyes, and become quite popular and involved in all of the drama which covered the city like the banks of fog which blew through every day, even for those at the youngest ages. They noisily chatted with their four friends they had gotten permission to bring. To them, the derby was the gateway to the exciting world of grown-ups, and they all looked forward to being proper ladies one day, and saw this as an early stepping stone to such a life. Jane's up flickered to her mother, as they did often lately. She hadn't seen her in nearly ten years since her father personally came to snatch her from the clutches of the courtly life, which had been a walking hellscape for her. She was an illegitimate child of the Queen of Galandia, and she had been treated as a royal embarrassment till the age of eight, a treatment which had a lasting impact on her and had led her into a general distrust of most of the people around her. She had her mother's face and her father's yellow eyes and a fierce beauty which was visible even at the youngest of ages, and all those with any power save for the king himself, who had found it in himself to care for his sister's mistake, had done everything in their power to remind her daily of her place in life. Pharaoh himself had the yellow eyes of an elf. He too had been born a royal bastard, the son of the current king's uncle, and had been raised in secret in many years by his elven mother before his discovery. His ears were slightly pointed, and he had a bright, and he had bright yellow eyes which varied in shades like that of a kaleidoscope, and which others noted seemed to glow when he got overly excited. The rest of the carriage was filled with two girls that vague, very. Pharaoh vaguely knew, and one that he did, his daughter's friends since soon after their move to the city. They were neighbors and all lived two houses down on the edge of the island, in the middle of the mouth of the river where it ran into the sea. 
That was known as Rasdam, which was built on several hills. The countryside passed under the slow trotting of the four large horses, farm after farm, many of them which lay, lay fallow, ha only having small green cover crops, which reinvigorated the dark brown soil, and many chimneys which spewed smoke from small farmhouses into the cloudy air. Eventually, the racetrack came into sight. There were many littered throughout the countryside, but this one was the largest. In this day, people from all corners of the Radish main island came to attend the annual Halloween Derby. There was considerable traffic on the road, which eventually slowed down as their carriage waited outside an inspection checkpoint and where they would be charged for their entry. Pharaoh led them through the massive double doors into the heart of the stands, past the brass scales which were used to weigh the jockeys, and then the girls followed Vera up several flights of fine oaken stairs and down a hallway. He had opened an opulent wooden door which opened onto a lavish room, complete with a full-service bar and a man standing behind it at attention, though the rest of the room was vacant. The room was not Vero's. Box seating was hyper-exclusive, especially for the annual event, and the man whose family it was had owned the box for 74 generations. The five girls chatted excitedly and all sat down at the table, and Vero motioned to the man behind the bar to send for a server to take their order for breakfast. Jane had gone to the beautifully craft-crafted wooden railing and was looking down at the very ordered crowd with her yellow eyes. Her presence, whether she knew it or not, would be noted by nearly every single person in attendance. She was secretly admired by the men of the city and hated by the women. It was the opposite case for her father, who was perfectly aware of this and came to stand next to her and add, added his gaze to hers. The two of them didn't speak much. They were comfortable enough with each other to share intimate moments completely wordlessly. There was a walkway which led to the other boxes on the row, and a crowd of white-haired men and women came to look down. Pharaoh removed himself from the railing. His host, Archibald Steeple, had yet to arrive, and he not, did not wish to seem presumptuous. He, he recognized the group of senators and their wives, all from old and powerful Tory party, and they hated Archibald Steeple viciously, and Pharaoh did not wish to become an easy victim for their wrath. Some biting comment would be sure to have been launched at him. Pharaoh, handsome as his eldest daughter was beautiful, never went to any great length to dress lavishly and had chosen a blue petticoat with white fur exposed at the collar and had groomed his hair nicer than usual. Archibald Steeple made his entrance, flanked as usual by two men, one a large, finely dressed brute of a man who never spoke, Steeple's butler, and the other a small man with a pointed nose who gave Pharaoh his accustomed cold gaze from behind his thick spectacles. This was Ver Steeple's personal secretary, and he hated Vero as much as Vero hated him. Steeple himself was a warm and jovial man, and he fixed Vero in a loving embrace, even though the two saw each other weekly at a certain tea shop. As he stood there watching the crowd, his daughters had spied a group of their friends on the railing to the left, and with his permission moved along to greet them, leaving Vero in silence. He, as usual, felt very comfortable. He was a squat man with thick jowls, piercing red eyes, and a bald head who resembled a bulldog if Vero resembled some type of predatory cat. Vero, good to see you, he said in his manner, which always seemed as if he was busy with some other problem, which often he was. He was well, Vero responded. I see you finally accepted my invitations to one of these bloody things. Uh, yes. He motioned towards the twins and their friends, who were all happily eating at the nearby table 
and who are attempting to keep their nerves in front of one of the most powerful men in the empire. I've missed your company the last two days. We've been debating this year's budget on the Senate floor. Tedious business. Pharaoh gave Steeple a knowing look. The damn Tories, you know. Oh, there will be a man from Moscow joining us with his son, and I hope that won't be a problem. Pharaoh gave him a somewhat annoyed look. He was often used as a sort of accessory to Steeple. The man, the name Scrapulous Pharaoh was well known in many circles, and he was treated as some sort of exotic pet by the man. He rolls his eyes at Steeple. I see you couldn't have let me know before this very moment. Well, I know you would have refused, says Steeple with a chuckle, and they both shared a smile. Steeple had done quite a lot for Vero. He had single-handedly ended his exile and found a permanent home for his first daughter outside of the Galandian court, where he knew she was showed every disrespect, and he owed quite a bit to the man. He is a bit dull, aren't they all, said Vero. A man came to, to another of the many tables in the room they had chosen to sit at. It was raised so they could watch the goings-on on the track with a tray full of hot pastries and coffee and set them in front of them and bowed wordlessly and disappeared behind them. Pharaoh was quite hungry and eagerly dug in, washing it down with the piping hot coffee. The man appeared soon thereafter with his son in a sizable retinue, and Pharaoh hunkered down for the barrage of pleasantries and strange looks he knew would accompany their presence. He motioned for Jane when he saw her looking over at them questioningly, and she came over and greeted the man, his son, and their retainers. They all sat there together at the large table. Jane understood that she was to entertain the boy, and she chose to sit next to him. He was elegantly dressed in a green doublet, which matched his green eyes, which had immediately transfixed upon her the moment they had walked into the box. He was already stumbling over his words, and Jane smiled inwardly, knowing that her beauty was throwing him off as it did most of the men she had ever met, though she was quick to mention her boyfriend, a remark that left the boy wide-eyed with a frown and a face of disappointment for several more moments than was normal. Next to them, the three men chatted about what was going on in the world. The naval war, which had been waged for almost a century between the Radish and the Lascaux, had been ended in a peace treaty not seven years prior, and the two powers were still testing out the footing of their new friendship. The man, it became clear, was here to, in a large part to help sign a deal for the import of wine from Moscow at a lower tariff. Pharaoh could tell by Steeple's responses there was no chance the deal would get done, though his words were shielded by every pleasantry. Half an hour before the first race, they were all brought trays of steaming hot meat pies, which were set onto the large table, and they ate as they sat, watching below as the first race prepared to set off. Who have you got? The man asked Vero. He resisted the urge to smile at the man. He thought betting something of a fool's game, a sentiment he knew Steeple shared well. I'm not much of a betting man, he said, and besides, I know nothing of the finer points of horse betting. Well, I've got old Rafford. They say he's washed up, but I had a look at him myself this morning, and he looks muscled and fit as if he were still in his youth. Steeple almost lost his composure at this comment, and Pharaoh was forced to bite back a smile. They all stood up to the railing to watch. Pharaoh cared a little for horse racing, yet still found himself choosing a horse to root for. The one who rode the dark black horse became his favorite. The jockey wore an all-white uniform as he drove the horse through its paces, standing tall in the stirrups as the horse sprinted underneath him. The horse began near the front and then slowly lost its lead as the race entered the stretch between the second and third turn, and then they were straight again, but around the third turn the horse began to kick and it passed the horses one by one until on the final stretch he unleashed a sprint, which netted him a third place finish, just behind the horses who had gotten in first and second by a small length.
There was a race every half hour, and the ambassador excused himself to place more bets. In the meantime, his daughters had disappeared from the table behind him, and he spotted them several boxes over with a large, boisterous group of boys and girls who seemed completely oblivious to the dark looks which the grown lords and ladies gave them contemptuously from the boxes on either side. Jane had steered the boy to the railing where they stood together, but not so close as to give anyone ideas of a further relationship. She was dating an admiral's son, and she was smart enough to maintain a good space between them. She was still keeping the boy engaged in conversation, though. He was generous. She was generous when she knew men were not lusting after her, and this boy seemed to be happy enough just to engage her in conversation. He's not too bad, said Vera, when the man in his retinue had left, and he was just out of earshot of the men outside of the box and the servant who stood attentively behind the bar and had not as much as blinked since he got there. Yes, I find myself liking him more and more by the second, said Steeple. He's not one of these snobbish ones they have in droves over there. Red blood runs through his veins. What do you think of his proposition, asked Pharaoh, or are you just giving him the runaround? He asked already, knowing the answer, but he allowed Steeple a courtesis courtesy of not acting to know another man's mind i'm afraid so said steeple there is still a lot of animosity towards the current king of Lascaux. such emotion would never pass on the floor of the senate i simply must continue an ambivalence i believe is necessary between our two nations even if i must reject him there is no sense in abandoning my grace i would have just been honest with him immediately said varro the man would at least know where i stood on the issue well, that's why I have you around, said Steve. Will you let me have it, good or bad? Pharaoh smiled at that. Then his daughters returned with their friends, and it was clear they all wanted to be introduced to Archibald Steeple. So Vero introduced them one at a time until it came to the girls he didn't know. I can't tell you I know them. The twins shot him eyes like daggers. But then, with all the dignity they can muster, introduced the two girls to Steeple. How are you ladies enjoying the races so far, he asked. They are good, except for the fact that Alora's family's horse lost. Oh, I see, said Steeple, raising his eyebrow. Well, you can't win them all. I hope you ladies enjoy the rest of the contest today. I think that the prize race should be a good one. The twins had a gleeful look in their eyes as they all turned away. It did turn out to be a good one, and they all had a fairly nice day, all except Vero, of course, who, like Jane, found the event quite dull aside from Steeple's company, a man he could call a true friend, and he did his best not to let it show too much, though he was sure from the somewhat bemused look Steeple gave him that he wasn't the most convincing actor. Steeple was a master of small talk. He had a way with it, and he made conversation with their visitor about it seemed everything. The color of a particular horse, the complexities of winemaking, the time he had spent in a particular small town in Lascaux that they had both visited before. All of it drove near Pharaoh nearly mad, but he stood there silently for the most part, though the rest of the race was exchanging pleasantries when necessary, though it seemed the man had become wholly and un uninterested in him, and for this Pharaoh was very pleased. Finally, the prize race was finished, and some horse or another had won, and the rest had lost, and Pharaoh was quite happy to turn his head and see the arena disappearing behind him as the large carriage made its slow slog back to the capital city.